from Revenue Rhino. I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Craig from the New Workforce and an exciting new thing called Rock the C-Suite. Craig, it's really nice to have you on. I'm excited for today's discussion. Thank you, Brad. I'm really pleased to be here with you. Absolutely. Craig, in just a few sentences, can you tell me a bit about who you are, as well as what the new workforce is and what the Rock the C-Suite is? Absolutely. My employees, Brad, call me the chief rock and roll officer. And I don't know if that's really quite right, but it's fun. That's what they've decided to call me. But I have two ventures right now that are doing great. One is called the new workforce. And we call ourselves the world's greatest outsourced talent. And we do have a team of very disciplined, well-developed workforce based in Southeast Asia in the Philippines that does a whole lot of great work for companies here, mostly in the U.S., at far less cost and probably, in most cases, better outcomes and faster turnaround times. And that is growing by triple digits quarter over quarter, I'm very proud to say. The other venture, Rock the C-Suite and Craig Kleeman Live is really where my love for rock and roll plays in. And I do performances for corporate events, sometimes a full-blown band and improv comedy and onstage dance with lyrics, rock music, but lyrics that are written for the audience. And other times I just do talks and MC and bring these energy bumps with some class and rock music, getting the audience off their feet, yucking it up in between keynotes so the conferences don't become a snooze fest, actually. So I've got both those ventures going. The new workforce is growing rapidly. I'd say it's the real financial strong thing going. And Rock the C-Suite and Craig Kleeman Live is a lot of creative fun. Those are the two things I got going. That's amazing. I love it. So I think every entrepreneur out there listening wants their business to grow really large and fast and quick. How have you managed to accomplish this in such a short period of time? What's the secret to your success of the new workforce and scale in this company? Great question. And I have to say that we were talking a little bit before the show that roughly two, actually the new workforce has been in existence less than two years, almost two years now. But I have to really, you know, full transparency, I was committed with a large BPO call center operation in Metro Manila, the Philippines for 12 years. And back and forth a lot, drove almost all of the North America business. We had an Amea guy doing the same and the founder was there. And when the lockdowns hit associated with COVID, excuse me, the business just really stopped, Brad. And we all connected and we just decided to to unwind our partnership. And the founder of course wanted to drive through it because she lived there. It was her baby. And the, the two partners, we were, hey, you know what? There's a bit too much uncertainty to hang in. In a very sensible manner, we unwound. And then pretty shortly after that, Brad, I just realized, gosh, this remote work boom seems to be here to stay. Large companies are beginning to identify and assimilate with it. And I, from my 12 years of back and forth, I have a, a very strong network. My wife is Filipina. I met her in the context of traveling there. 
and she's a big brain, 4.0 valedictorian type. So she has, if, quite frankly, an even better network. And our ability to fill demand, to, to put together a strong workforce was there like almost day one, which is not easy to do. So that was a big advantage that I had. And yeah. then suddenly, because I'd been doing a lot of advisory and consulting work, I just went back to a lot of my clients. I've written a couple books. I've spoken at conferences and have a pretty big email list and all that. And we just started getting the word out there. And so it really started happening mostly through tapping my existing network and then referrals from there. That's awesome. So really, you didn't even have to launch a bunch of ads and all sorts of stuff. It just, it's like your network, those you knew, those you had connections with, your email lists, and you're off and running. Yeah, I will say we do plan. We're right now in the throes. Uh, We're very close to executing a Google ad campaign right now because we're ready to scale another level. But in direct answer to your question, Brad, we were very strategic about referrals. And because I had worked with tech companies that grow, excuse me, and then at some point reach a certain level and their investors sell it to sometimes larger private equity companies, we began to leverage whenever we got wins, we began then to ask our existing clients to introduce us to their private equity folks. And those are the folks that have portfolios of companies, multiples of companies that have need for some of our services. So that strategic effort to work with the owners, the private equity folks, and then get some access to their portfolio, or at least some visibility to their portfolio companies has been huge for us. Yeah, that's really interesting. How strategic do you get with them? Do you say, hey, do you have any hiring needs or do you really Mm -hmm. build out a good financial case study and hey, we can reduce your operating costs. A very strategic kind of conversation. How? What does that conversation look like? Yeah, no, hey, listen, I found the more strategic, the better. And in all honesty, those guys in particular, a lot, a lot of executives here in the U.S. and those guys in particular, they are not going to mess with anything offshore unless they feel like the people they're dealing with who are managing the teams and executing the teams think the way they think and understand process workflow the way they do. And I think that has given me an advantage just from those years of consulting and having started my first business is that I can rather intuitively talk their talk. And so I would always come to the table in all instances, you know, with case studies, with proof points, with here's what we've done. Here's what we haven't done. Oh, you want to do that? I haven't quite done that but I do think we could solve for that and here's how. So I I think you wanna come equipped with all of those meetings, but you also want to always be transparent when maybe you haven't done something, but you think you could do it. And then in that instance, work out a trial or make it rather, instead of a one-year agreement, give them easy outs in case it doesn't work. So it's, it's been that sort of approach. I like that. And then your model, do, do they manage the team or, or are you like fully managed or fully managing that team? What does the model look like? Yeah, no, it really, Mick Jagger sings, I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I can't get none. And what I've found is that USA companies 
if they try to hire offshore folks on a one-off basis here and there, they're really not going to be satisfied. But if they hire a group that's going to operate in effect as a managed service, which is how we roll as a managed service, we don't really thrive off of just, you know, one employee here or one employee there. We thrive off of embedding a minimum of usually three, prove what we do, and then expand, you know, land and then expand. So the reason the folks will trust us is that we'll give them real easy outs when we get started. And then once we prove, we'll begin to expand. And we'll, But the key is managed service. The key is ongoing and constant quality control and assurances to be sure that we're delivering what they really need. You're checking I don't know if that's answered your question, but I hope so. Yeah, I love that. So let's uh, move on to a little bit of, you have a really strong personal brand and you're doing a lot of awesome stuff there. How has that helped with building connections in the business? I think we were talking a little bit before this, you rock the C-suite, you're able to build a lot of relationships and all that. Tell me about that. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. I, I can tell you that um, I, I think that building a personal brand is very helpful for all of us. And let me try and state that a little bit differently. I think that most obsessions lead, you know, to some kind of bondage. But for every person, there is an obsession that can lead to greatness. And when we begin to identify and understand our identity, our strengths, for example, in my journey of life in business, I've realized I'm more of a visionary leader than I am an operational leader. And in my first company that I started and grew from zero to 30 million in sales quickly in less than four years and sold it. One, Brad, one thing I can tell you is that along that journey, I made a lot of messes along the way. And what I mean by that is I would go out and man, I could get marketing partnerships. I could get folks to invest marketing development funds into our programs, but we didn't always have the infrastructure to deliver on what I would go out and champion and evangelize. And I began to realize that I needed an operational team that could not only produce, but could also put the rope around my neck and rein me in when I'm going out working on partnerships that we're not prepared yet to deliver properly. So I think that when you begin to learn your limitations and when you begin to really think through thoughtfully, what what happens is if we're going to have an obsession, let's make it magnificent and let's make it on something that's going to lead to some greatness. Love that. All right, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions as we wrap up here. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that advice be? That advice would be, that would be pretty obvious. I would say to myself, Craig, your thoughts determine the outcome of your life. And without a relentless intentionality, your mind is going to be subjected minute by minute to chaotic disorder. 
And I would say to that young man, avoid data overload and avoid information dissemination at the expense of your own vitality. And I would have said, Craig, if you can master that, you're going to soar. And I feel like I'm soaring a little bit now, but I, and I don't have a heart of regret, but I absolutely know I could have soared higher had I drawn that conclusion earlier in life. So that's what I would say to my younger self. I love it. And for all the other entrepreneurs out there listening, what do you think is one of the most important, you know, principles in business? Like what's really stuck with you that you've learned or come to see? I've really learned that those who understand generational distinctions will always outperform those who do not. And so that when you begin working with not only your own workforce as an entrepreneur, as it develops, and your own clients, if you can begin to understand generational distinctions, you will absolutely outperform even your own goals. I'll give you one example of that, Brad. I've done some consulting and advisory work with a company where they have a lot of folks early in their career, maybe Gen Z or something, but because the company sells to C-suite executives, they're communicating with folks like baby boomers. And believe me, there are distinctions and there are distinctions in the way folks communicate from generation to generation. And so without getting into all the detail, we began to uncover and dissect those distinctions and the team profited tremendously. So I, I would just repeat it. Those who understand generational distinctions will always outperform those who do not. I love that. Craig, it's been amazing to have you on. Thanks so much for joining today and doing this podcast. Brad, thank you for having me. Keep rocking in the free world, brother. Absolutely.